of God. We already are, but are you ready? Uh, Revelation chapter 21 and 22. We've been in this series on the coming of the Son of Man for a long time. Anybody mad about it? I'm not mad about it. It's been so good looking at the book of Revelation all the way through. I'm a little sad that, that we're about done. But this is the best part of the story. Um, it, is, it is the completion of the story. We looked, as we've looked at the, the book of Revelation, we've been on such a journey. Um, sometimes this book, Revelation, is misunderstood because um, it's filled with some pretty intense things. But at the end of the day... It's about one thing, Jesus. All right, verse 1 of chapter 1 says it is the revelation of Jesus, not the revelation of cataclysmic end-time events. Not, it's the revelation of Jesus. It is the revelation of Jesus. So as we've been in this, my prayer for you, for me, for us, is that you've been equipped in a greater way in the knowledge of Jesus that you see him better and know him greater than you did before. Um, and hopefully you do know more of the events, more of the signs, more of the facts, but ultimately that you know him. Because you could know all the signs and you could be able to draw all the diagrams and explain all the spiritual symbols, but you know you could know all that and not know Jesus. And that would be tragic. But we want to know him and we want to love him. And Jesus want, doesn't want you to miss him in the middle of his story, in the middle of your story. It's his story. And it's about to all come to a grand conclusion. We want him. We want his way. We want heaven on earth. And that's what we see here at the very end of the book. So as we dive into the word of God, would you just pray with me again? Father, we thank you for your word, Jesus. We thank you that you are opening up our eyes to see you, to know you, to love you in ways we never have before. God, would you capture our hearts with your story and cause us to come alive to the person of Jesus. God, I pray for every heart in this room to come alive to Jesus. Amen. All right, so Revelation 21 and 22, I can't read you the whole thing, but it, what we've been looking at from chapter 1 is Jesus appears to his friend John. He sees Jesus in all his glory. He writes it down. Jesus says, I have words from my churches, and John writes them down. That's Revelation chapter 2 and 3, uh, Jesus living epistles. And then the, the events, uh, John is taken to heaven. He sees the throne of God. And then Jesus shows him all the events of the end time judgments. That's, that's chapters uh, 6, 7, 8, all the way through 18. And then Marvin did an amazing job last week talking about Revelation 19 and 20 where Jesus comes back to the planet, the coming of the Son of Man, and he establishes his kingdom on earth. And it's glorious. It's powerful. We're going to be here for it. We're going to have glorified bodies, and we're going to rule and reign with him. That's what, that's what we've been to so far. So what's left? What's left is... The, the reason for it all. It's the resolution of every conflict. It's the answer to every question. Yes, Jesus will have come and established his rule and reign on the planet, our planet, planet Earth, where we live. Jesus will be ruling and reigning on the planet for a thousand years. But what for? It's so that the Father in heaven can come and dwell on the planet with us once again. That's what's been missing since Genesis chapter 3. Did you know? 
(laughs) The separation of God and man happened. Now, God didn't leave us alone. By his spirit, he's been here. He came as Jesus, the man, to be God with us. But God, the ancient of days, the one who dwells in inapproachable light, will dwell on the planet with us. That's Revelation 21 and 22. It's the end of it all. It was God's original dream, desire, and intent. And we broke it, but he's going to restore it all. Hallelujah. This is one of the easiest passages of Scripture to preach. Let's read it. I'm going to read just a couple verses of chapter 21. This is uh, John seeing what is to come. Then I saw, Revelation 21, verse 1, a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I was reading that again this morning, like, what? That's a whole question, but that's not what we're talking about today. (laughs) And at verse 2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Verse 3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They'll be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Verse 4, this is the promise we all know of heaven, that he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Can you even imagine? For the old order of things has passed away. Keep reading verse 5. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write these, this down, for these are, words are trustworthy and true. Just a few more verses. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I'll give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this. And I will be their God, and they will be my children. One more verse, verse 8. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic art, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. I want to stop there. So this is it. The end of the story, the end of human history as we know it, and the beginning of eternity forevermore. It's almost impossible to imagine, right? A land where there's no pain, nothing to mourn, nothing to cry about, no sadness. It's so ingrained in our human existence. I don't think we can even imagine what that's like. We don't know anything about that life. But it is the fulfillment, and we long for it. That's what we talk about it. There's going to be a day when there's no more death, no more crying, no more pain, because we're made for that life. We weren't made for this life. That's why it's a press. We, We feel every day the press of the fall of man. We feel every day the press of sin in our world. Every time we feel pain, every time we cry, every time we're mourning, every time someone dies, we feel the press of the fall. Isn't it good to know that's not the end of the story? And it's wild because so much of life speaks to this this progression of events. You know, I I studied um, 
music. My undergraduate degree was in music. Some of you know, some of you don't. And this doesn't actually, that doesn't actually totally relate because you can understand what I'm about to say. But when you look at, at classical music pieces, sometimes um, if they're written in a really dramatic way, they, they kind of build to a crescendo, and that crescendo comes, and, and it's built, and lots, there's lots of different factors that can make it. You add more notes that create dissonance, you create extra rhythms that create intensity, you add a louder dynamics, and you've got this big crescendo, this big climax, and that's kind of what human history is becoming, this, it's like building to this crescendo, and we read the book of Revelation, and it finally reaches its peak, and then what happens? It resolves, and it feels so good. When it resolves, when the, when the intensity reaches its peak and finally you're like, come on, come on, come on, come on. And that's what we feel the weight of every day, right? Come on, Jesus, come back. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord. And then the, the earth and the believers on the earth will be crying, come, Lord Jesus, come. Because the intensity of the moment. And, and there will come a moment when he comes. And that's this moment right here. When the, when the Father comes to dwell on earth with man, that the story of human history is building to a climax that will resolve with the restoration of all things. And that's the, the title of today's sermon. Human history, as we know it, this, this story ends where it began. In Genesis, what happened? God had a dream in his heart. He dreamed of you and me, and he created all that we see. And he created us, and he placed us in a garden. Why? To be fruitful and multiply? Sure. But more than that, he created it all so there would be a place for us and him to dwell together. That was what it was. That was the dream in his heart. And he had the dream. Well, Adam and Eve messed it up. The good news is, God never gave up. God never gave up on his dream. Uh, and, and human history will resolve back to the place where it's God dwelling on earth with man forever. And it will be spotless and without blemish, and it will never fall again. It never perish, or spoil, or fade. Hallelujah. We don't know anything about that lie. It will be a new heaven, a new earth, we'll have new bodies and there will be no more influence of sin. And it's not actually a surprise to God that it went down like this. He placed the serpent in the garden. He knew what could happen. He knew what we would choose. And so perhaps in the grand genius of God, he knew what he would do to bring about a people who made their choice, and then decided, no, actually what we wanted, really wanted, was him. And perhaps all of human history has been drawing us into this place where we as, as mankind get to try what we think we want and come to the place where we finally realize that what we actually wanted was him. that maybe all of human history has been to cultivate in the human heart love for God that reciprocates the love he always had for us. A desire for God that echoes the desire he always had for us. And perhaps we needed human history 
to teach us and cultivate in us a true and genuine love for God that echoes the love he has for us. These last two chapters are so glorious. And though it says that those who are victorious, verse 7, are the ones who get to experience heaven on earth forever. Those who are victorious are the ones who've chosen the way of knowing him, chosen the way of loving God, who've believed upon his goodness and said no to sin, flesh, and the devil. It's the confession we make with people in the baptismal pool. We're going to do that today. Are you saying no to, to, to living for yourself? Are you saying no to sin, your flesh? Are you saying yes to Jesus with all your heart? That's your baptismal confession. And in that moment, you enter into this eternal life where there's no more pain, no more crying, no more death, no more darkness, no more work of evil, no Satan, and check it out, no more even temptation. Wow. You know why this place called heaven on earth, where we live together with God forever, where we're called to live with God forever, is so beautiful, so glorious. You know why there's no, no sin? I mean, there, I just gave it away. There's no pain, there's no crying, there's no deaths, because there's no sin. Not even a trace of it. It can't even exist in this space. It'll be fully and completely eradicated forever. Hallelujah. What won't be in heaven? Sin. So I think we need to encourage ourselves, and I want to encourage you. If this is our eternal destiny, then we shouldn't ever be cultivating an appetite for sin today. There shouldn't be anything about it that seems attractive to us. Because if somehow sin is better to us than Jesus, you're going to hate heaven. You're going to hate your eternal life. Well, why does God hate sin? Because he loves you. I was talking with someone this, this week, and um, some things came up in the conversation, and uh, they were honest. I'm like, why are you doing that? It was sin. They knew it was sin. They knew it was a bad idea. Well, why are you doing that? And they had their reasons. But at the end of the day, it was because they thought somehow God was holding out on them. I said, you know, God doesn't hate that sin and tell you to abstain from it because he's trying to kill your joy. He's trying to keep you from destroying yourself. Sin's a destroyer. We don't want an appetite for sin. It destroys us. We don't want to sow to sin. We want to sow to heaven. We want to sow to the Spirit. We want to sow into our eternal life. It's what we're made for. Don't create an appetite for sin. Don't make excuses for sin. Let's see sin the way God sees it. If there was anything good about it, it would be with us forever in heaven. But there's no good. There's nothing good in sin. 
Everything that falls short of his glory destroys us. It's what separates us from him. It's what created the division in the first place. So every choice we make to say no to sin is a yes to God. Every choice we say no to sin is a yes to eternal life. And vice versa, every yes we say to sin is a no to God and a no to eternal life. We get so focused on our here and now. We, we, we get, you know, but this, this life we have right now is a vapor. It's a breath. You know, we sit in the room and we think about, well, we got young people. We got middle-aged people. I hate that term, by the way. Uh, and we got folks who are a little older. And we like to think about, like, people who are older, like, oh, I just have a short time left. And young people think they have forever. Here's the truth. In light of this moment, in Revelation chapter 21, your life is like this. You have this much time left. If you're 18 or if you're 90, you have this much time before you're going to see Jesus face to face. But what you do with your this is a sowing to that moment. Don't think you have forever. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. And that's, that's the scary thing they say to shake you over hell. You know, like, oh, give your life to Jesus. But it's true. You're not guaranteed tomorrow how many of you had something happen the next day you weren't expecting, right? Okay, so don't expect you have 20, 30, 40, 50 years, but even if you do, even if you do, sow to heaven. Don't sow to your flesh. This life and the things of the flesh, the things that are temporary, the things of sin will be gone in a moment. If you gave your life to those things, you know what you're going to have when the is over? A whole heap and hunk of regret. How many of you have had seasons in your life where you've sown to sin? You ever look back and be like, I'm so glad I did that. So glad I got that out of my system. No, you regret it forever. And I don't know any more painful feeling in my own life than regret. We all got it. Do you want to pile up regret for eternity? Or do you want to pile up joy for eternity? Sow to heaven in your snap. Your life, you will look back on this day when God comes to dwell on earth and you will regret every decision you said to say no to him and you will rejoice in every decision you said yes to him. I promise. It's not that God isn't good, gracious, or forgiving. It's not that you won't be in heaven if your faith is fully in Jesus. You will be there. But I don't want to be there with a heap of regret. I want to be there saying, I lived for this moment. I gave my to you. I gave my little life and a yes to you. I want to say, I live for what I was made for. Because at the end of the day, you were made for God. And the focus of all eternity, heaven on earth, is going to be one thing, him. It's not going to be about floating on clouds and playing harps. Who knows if that'll even happen? Because you know what? You won't be in the sky. You'll be on earth. You're going to be on earth, but it'll all be new. You're going to live an actual life. We, we will worship, but you're not going to stand in a service like this for billions of years, singing songs. For some people, that sounds amazing. Others of us are like, Really? You know why? We have a very limited view of God. And he's way more exciting than you think he is.
and living in his unhindered, (laughs) unadulterated presence forever will never be boring. You will never wish for life back before this. You'll never be like, oh, that was so much more fun. No! The reason you think that is because you don't really know him. It will all be about him, and you'll never be bored. It'll all be about him, and you'll be so glad you're there. You know, it's so wild that it says later on that you won't even need a light in, in, in the heaven on earth because you know why? He'll be the light. You know what I mean? And, and what does that mean? It's like his presence is everywhere, but even more so, what does light do for us? It helps us to see, help us to perceive. You're going to be so alive that you'll see everything from his perspective. You're going to see finally what he sees. You'll get to perceive finally your life the way he sees it and your own heart the way he sees it. And you'll perceive him the way you were meant to perceive him because he will be the one giving light to your eyes. He will be the light that lights the whole world forever. Hallelujah. This is eternal life to know the one thing to know him. It's actually why you're breathing. It's why God created mankind, is to know him, to dwell with him, to be with him. All the other things we do and that we've created and we've manufactured is because we've lost our purpose of knowing him. The reason we create other entertainments, and don't get me wrong, I like entertainments, I watch movies, is because we don't yet see him in his fullness. We don't yet see him in all of his glory and all of his fascinating beauty. But on that day, we will see. And on that day, we will know, even as we are known. But we're not just waiting for that day. Do you know your eternal life, that day for you starts today? The moment you meet Jesus, you step into eternal life. Your eternal life began that day. Jesus said it. He prayed it. I'm going to read it from John chapter 17. Marvin was on it. He's like, I know where this is going. (laughs) Marvin probably has John chapter 17 memorized. No lie. Do you? Do you for real though? Come on, don't lie. (laughs) Jesus in his high priestly prayer, before he goes to the cross, we get let in on this conversation between him and the Father. He says, Father, the hour has come glorify your son that your son may glorify you for you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given them and this is it definition of eternal life that they know you the only true god and jesus christ whom you have sent the moment you come to faith You step into eternal life. You get a taste of the knowledge of God. And you know what the rest of your life from that day forward is? Is getting to know him. Knowing him today and knowing him tomorrow and knowing him in this circumstance and knowing him in friendship, knowing him in family, knowing him in marriage, knowing him in child rearing, knowing him in church life, knowing him in your work life, knowing him is your eternal life. And we start now. Every day is an adventure of knowing him. We're not just waiting for that day. We're not in a holding pattern, twiddling our thumbs. Otherwise, why didn't we just like suck us up into heaven the moment we gave our lives to him? No, we get to know him now in a way we'll never get to know him then. We're sowing our 
snap of life, our vapor of life, to know him in a way that we will get to carry with us for billions of years. There'll be no pain, no more sorrow, no more death. But what we lived in the pressure of this life and gave ourselves to knowing him will be the treasure we carry forever. The knowledge of God, the friendship of God, you, you invest in today, you carry as your treasure forever. It starts now. What kind of treasure will you be carrying forever? God's always longed to have this dwelling place with us. It was his idea. We don't have to talk him into it. He's just been wooing us into his grand idea, into perfect communion with him. And what a long-suffering, faithful God he has been. Over centuries and centuries and millennia and millennia of our unfaithfulness and him continuing to court us and draw all of mankind to himself. This is the God who is love. This is what love looks like. He's gonna have the dream of his heart, and we will experience the truest dream of our heart. What we are always longing for and maybe didn't even know. In the meantime, we'll wrap up with two thoughts. How shall we then live? How do we deal with the pressures of this life the circumstances we find us in, the places that are painful, the places where we are crying, all the things that won't be in heaven that we're experiencing today, God is using them. And he has a precise purpose in each circumstance. Did you know that? Justin said something profound during worship that was likened about this, but um, I was thinking about this this week. I was putting together um, an Ikea table. Anyone ever put together Ikea furniture? And uh, um, it came with this little metal wrenchy thing that was terrible. (laughs) But I didn't have anything else. And so I'm, for like 20 minutes, wrenching four, only four bolts with this little weak piece of steel. And it hurt. I'm like, dang, if I just had my socket set, this would be done in a minute, literally. I'll be done. But I had my little weak steel piece of Ikea tool put this thing together. I thought, this is what it's like when we try to make God's goodness happen in our own strength. It just doesn't work. And then I thought, God's ways are like precision tools. They fit, they get the job done in the most efficient way. I want to encourage you, whatever circumstances that are pressing pain in your life, it's not an Ikea wrench. God's got a precision tool in that thing. He's working his good purpose in you. He's fitting things together for you. And he'll finish the job just on time, as efficiently as possible. God doesn't waste a moment. He doesn't waste his strength either with unfavorable circumstances. If there's an unfavorable circumstance in your life, he'll use it, and he'll do it with precision. Like if I would have had my socket set right there. In just a moment, you'll see how it all fits together. He won't miss a beat, and there won't be a mistake. God is so good. So I said there were two things. One was to Understand the ways of God being precision tools. 
in this life. The other is, I forgot, so I've got to find it in my notes. Ah, just one concluding thought. You know, you may be living this life thinking, you know, I'm trying to live for God. It's just hard. And if I'm honest, it's not always that enjoyable. That's, that's honest. Sometimes it doesn't feel like glory, right? That's true. And the truth is, living for God in this age can be hard. It's, it's not always easy. Uh, but the truth is, no one's life is easy. I've met enough people in enough circumstances to know that nobody has an easy life. It's so easy sometimes to stand in our corner and look at that person over there. They, they've got it easy. You know, they got more money and more power and more favor on their life than they do. It just must be so easy. You know what? It's not. No one's life in the midst of a sin-broken world is easy. We all have challenges. It's all hard for all of us. Just your heart is, may not be my heart. Your heart might not be their heart. But they have a whole set of challenges and circumstances too. Because they're, you know why? They're not living with Jesus forever in glory yet. And neither are you. Life is hard. Here, don't believe the lie that it's hard for you. And it's harder because you know, God hasn't blessed you like he blessed that person. That's nonsense. Life is hard. Living for God on this side can be challenging. But I want to make a suggestion to you. Stop working so hard to try to live for God and make the switch to living with God. Instead of trying to grit your teeth and do this thing right and, and get it all right and, and, and meet up the expectations that people have and meet up the expectations that God has, just simplify your focus and say, I'm going to choose today to live with God. I'm going to choose today to live in friendship with God. And it's a significant shift to our thinking. We get so works-minded. We get so in our own human strength-minded, even in our relationship with God, we see all the ways where we're messing it up, all the ways we're not getting it quite right. And he says, you know what? I'm not so concerned about how not right you're getting it. I just want you to be with me. I just want you to be my friend. And you know what? If you actually just look at me, spend time with me, walk with me, guess what? It's going to be a lot easier. Because you know why? You won't be doing it in your own strength. You'll be doing life in friendship with God. Don't make your performance the focus of your life. Make him the focus of your life. Make knowing Jesus the focus of your life. And I promise it will transform everything else. How about a Bible verse to back it up? And then we wrap it. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Did you beat me to it again? You may know this verse, but you need to see it right. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. How many of you have heard this verse before? God's divine power has given us everything we need to live a godly life. His power has given you everything through your knowledge of him. Through your hard work and your grit and your strength and your stick and your discipline. No. 
through your knowledge of him, to the extent that you give yourself to knowing him, walking him as a friend, you will experience his divine power. Promise. Did you see that key in there? Who called us by his own glory and goodness. Not because you studied, because you walked in the knowledge of God. Not because you went to church every Sunday, but you are a friend of Jesus. The knowledge of God. He's given us very great and precious promises so that through them, you will participate in his divine nature. Having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. You struggling with sin? Spend time with Jesus. Having a hard time living for God? Get to know him. That's the key. That releases his power and his promises and causes you even in this life to escape the corruption of sin. Amen? It's so simple. Spend time with him. You don't have to spend hours. Just be with him. Be with him in your car. Carve out space to invest in him. Get in the word. Read the word. Be in fellowship with his people. We're going to be together forever. Let's be together with him today. And last but not least, as you grow in the knowledge of God, as you experience eternal life today, Invite other people into the knowledge of God. Invite them to get to know Jesus. It's one of the greatest joys of the life of knowing him is to invite other people to know him too. Let's stand. Justin, if you could come. We're going to close service here, pray and respond to the word. We'll take a little break, and then we're going to celebrate a baptism. It's going to be so good. Before we get there, though, I want to give us a chance to respond to the word, because I believe God's speaking to you. He's speaking to some of you in the room. He's probably speaking to all of us in one way or another, because he always is. I just want to start with the most simple question, because I don't know everyone in the room. I don't know where you stand before God, but God does. Do you truly know him? Have you invested yourself in the knowledge of God? Have you invested yourself in knowing Jesus? Walking? in friendship with him? Or have you been maybe even claiming that you know Jesus but living for yourself? Are you ready, if you're here today, to lose your life for the sake of knowing him and invest your life in being with him? I want to make that invitation to you. Let's come before him in prayer. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for giving your life to give us life. We thank you for the invitation into eternity that comes to us even in this age, even in this day. We just say thank you for loving us before we even know, knew to love you, before we even knew you, for calling us to yourself, even when we were dead in our sin and trespasses. If you're in the room today and you know you're far, but you want to come near to God by the sacrifice of Jesus, would you just wave at me from where you are? You say, that's me. Yep, I see it. Anybody else? 
How about if you're here and you'd say, I've really been claiming to know Jesus but living for myself. I've not been living with eternity in mind. And today I want to make a declaration before God. I'm living for that age to come. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Turn away from myself today. I turn away from my sin. Turn away from flesh. Lord, I want to invest in the knowledge of knowing you all my days. I see those hands. Lord, here we are. We say our faith is in you, God, and and our life is in you. And we want all of life to be about you. We want to live for you all of our days. And Lord, you saw those that responded and those that didn't, God, but you know our hearts. Lord, I pray today that you would give us grace to turn away from ourselves, to turn away from flesh, to turn away from the temporary and give ourselves to the knowing you. Give ourselves to walking with you all of our days. Would you grace us to be friends of God in this age so that the next age we carry in great treasure, great treasure of knowing you. God, would you free us from the sin that so easily entangles us. God, would you empower us with divine might to escape the corruption of this life and to be ready and waiting for you when you return. Come Lord Jesus, come. And Lord, I pray for every believer in the room. God, that knowing you would be so good that we wouldn't shut up. We'd tell everyone we know about you, how good you are, how kind you are, how great you are, how loving you are. God, that you would allow us to bring with us a multitude into those heavenly courts with you, Jesus. I was made